We are over in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 32. You saw the earlier Facebook posting. We're going to take a look here at the terror that comes upon the nations because of what happens to Egypt and how this same terror can come upon anyone, us included, if the right conditions exist. We're going to look at what those conditions are, how to identify them, how to get them out of our lives if they are in there, and ways we can prevent it. Last week we were looking at the comparisons we make. Egypt was being compared to a great tree and it began to compare itself to some of the other great trees. And it's so easy for us to get into that place of comparison where we liken ourselves to this, that, or the other thing and we see believers that we have judged to be inferior to us receiving things that we see as superior. And we don't think that's fair. We get mad at God and Get ourselves out of faith. Those are not the ways we want to go. We gave you some verses of scripture on that too. And that is posted up on the website, podcast, all the different places that you can get it. No charge for any of that. Just go up there and get it. Listen to it anytime that you want to. You can also see the video. We always post the videos of all the Facebook broadcasts we do right on the website. Or I'm sorry, on the Facebook page. You can go right there and, and check them all out. All right, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 1. And it came to pass in the twelfth year, on the twelfth month, the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, chapter 31, the first prophecy that came out, came out in the eleventh year, in the third month. So this is a year and about uh, nine months later than that one. The message has been dated for March the 3rd of 585 B.C., this would have been some time after those that are in exile heard that the city of Jerusalem had fallen. So it's not when it had fallen. They had given them time. They would have heard that this would have fallen. This lamentation style is something that Ezekiel used often. We saw it in chapter 19. We saw it in chapter 27, chapter 32. I'm sorry, chapter 27, 28, and of course here in 32. He is uh, one of the ones who uses it the most of, uh, of any of the ones who do use this. Let's look at verse 2. Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a young lion among the nations, and you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet, and fouling the rivers. This seems to be a little confusing here when he calls him, You are like a young lion among the nations, and you are like a monster in the seas. It could be this, that Egypt saw themselves as a young lion and God saw them as a monster in the seas. But however it is that it goes, we're focusing mostly on the way, the second part here, either the way that God sees them or, uh, well, whatever, uh, the monster in the seas is what we're going to be focusing on here. He says, you are like a monster in the seas bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and fouling the rivers. When those alligators go along shore, their feet will rough up the mud and make it murky and muddy. And that's what it would be talking about here. In verse 3, thus says the Lord God, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people and they will draw you up in my net. I saw this uh, comment made about the net is in that uh, it is not a common way to catch an alligator with a net. They usually use hooks and things of that nature. But God apparently has a big enough net. He's going to do this in an unusual way. 
I have no doubt that God has a net that would catch an alligator or a crocodile. So he says, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people, and they will draw you up in my net. Then I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out on the open fields and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens. And with you, I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood. Even to the mountains and the riverbeds will be full of you. So we're going to drag this crocodile out of the land. We're going to leave him in such a uh, condition that the birds of the air can come down and they'll feed upon him. The beasts of the earth, they'll come and they'll prey upon him as well. That the, the very blood of this monster will flow into the, into the land and the earth will swallow it up. Not a real fun picture, but this is the picture that God gives of what's going to happen to Egypt here. It once ruled the waters as the monster, but it's going to be left on the dry land to be eaten for the beast, by the beast and by the, uh, by the birds. Now, verse 5 and 6, when we get to this, it says, I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcasses. This would seem to be speaking to soldiers who accompany Pharaoh into the battle, that they would be the ones that are be, being left. And, of course, they do follow him into battle. And the, in the battle with Nebuchadnezzar, there was quite a few of the Egyptians who died. Verse 7, and I, will, I will put out your light. I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. So he's going to put out the light, whatever light that it is that he has or that he thinks he has. God's going to put it out. I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. And I will cover the sun with the cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. Now, some of the things that Egypt worshipped, of course, we know the sun god, and God had attacked this during the ten plagues. And it seems to be a mark here as well. I will put out your light, even the great sun god of Ra, the great sun god of Egypt, will not be able to spare them and will not be able to help them. All the light, the moon, the stars, it's all going to go out. God's going to put every single light out. All the bright lights of the heavens, he says in verse 8, I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. Now, of course, no one can do that except for God. Turn out the lights that are in the heavens. But he's, he says that's one of the things we will do. Verse 9, we're going to see the reaction here of the nations. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their king shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them. And they will tremble every moment, every man for his own life, in the day of your fall. So the fall is coming. He's telling him how the people in the other nations will be reacting to this. Verse 9, I will also trouble the hearts of many people, many peoples, when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. 
So the nations that are around are not just going to hear the news and be sad. They're going to be troubled. There's going to be trouble that comes into their heart and God says He's bringing it on them. He will make them astonished and the kings, in verse 10, shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword. Now the sword, he's going to clarify this in the verse coming up, that sword once again is Babylon. God calls Babylon his sword. doesn't say that here in verse 10, but he will clear that up in, in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. By the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them, the most terrible of the nations, I will cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt and all its multitude shall be destroyed. So multitudes of the Egyptians will die. All the great riches that they have are going to be taken. They'll become plunder for the people who come against Egypt. All their, the great glory that they have built up all these years, it's going away. So the great pride of Egypt and Pharaoh will be destroyed. This by the harshness of Babylon. When Babylon comes, of course, they have other nations that are in their ranks. It isn't just the Babylonians that come. They have brought soldiers from other places as well. We know that pride was one of the great things that Pharaoh and Egypt, one of the great sins that they had and God was judging. But we'll see here that um, that pride is brought away because all the things that they had based on that pride is taken by the enemies. Pride is a terrible thing in the eyes of God. We have got to maintain our humility. We've talked about this before and how many times God has brought up pride in the nations that He's judging. He brought up pride when He talked about judging the um, nation of Israel. He talked about pride when He was judging the nation of Assyria. He talked about pride here when He's talking about judging Egypt and other nations uh, before them as well. Verse 13, Also I will destroy all its animals from beside its great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. Then I will make their waters clear and make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God. So as a judgment that's going to come down upon the animals. These are animals, of course, that they would depend upon uh, for food and other things. So he's going to judge them and take them away. He says, Then I will make the waters clear, with no, it seemed that with no animals to be trotting through the Nile and the tributaries that come off of the Nile to water and irrigate the land around there, that they would become a lot clearer. And it may just be something along those lines. So it's either there's a lack of disturbance on the waters or somehow God is restoring and healing them. But the cattle will be destroyed. The water will somehow not be available to them. Verse 15. When I make the land of Egypt desolate and the country is destitute for all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And we've talked about this before. This is a passion of Ezekiel. And certainly it's a passion of God. It's probably a passion of Ezekiel because he knows this is a, the heart of God. And he's taking this on as his own passion. He wants people to know that the Lord is God. Whatever it is that comes through him as a prophecy... When it is fulfilled, he wants people to know this is the Lord God. So he is confident in the things that he is saying that they will come about. And once they do come about, that people will know 
that the Lord said it, that the Lord brought it about, and that He is God. That's a, that's a thing we all must make sure we keep in our passions, that people know that the Lord is God. That through everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that they see in us, that it all points back to the Lord is God. Now, some skeptics say that this was a false prophecy because there is little in secular history that confirms that the king of Babylon conquered Egypt or took and plundered the whole, the whole place. There was an interesting uh, answer to this objection and is by a gentleman by the name of Feinberg. He said this, As already stated, Egypt was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. The silence of the Greek Herodotus is far from decisive in this matter. For he was unable to read the Egyptian sources and received his information through secondary sources. Furthermore, the Egyptians were adept at covering their disasters. For example, Herodotus did not even mention the important battle of Carchemish. And we know what had gone on in that battle. And uh, Herodotus did not even mention it. Verse 16, this is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nation shall lament her. They shall lament for her for Egypt and for all her multitude, says the Lord God. It came to pass also in the twelfth year, on the fifteenth day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down to the depths of the earth, her and the daughters of the famous nations with those who go down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with those who help him. They have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised slain by the sword. Now this is the final message that he has for Egypt. It is um, dated, uh, the, the same source that dated the other one, dated this one as April 1st, 585 B.C. I don't really see how that could possibly be. It's, it's uh, pretty clear that it's about 15 days after the previous message. That's a half a month. So, so I'll go with the days that are listed there in the passage and say it's 15 days and that would uh, probably preclude it from being on, the, uh, on April the 1st. If this previous one had been dated March the 3rd of 585, that would probably put this around March the 18th would be uh, where I would see it anyway. All right. So the nations here will lament the fall of Egypt because she is being cast down into the pit with the other famous nations who fell before her. So a lot of these nations that Egypt had killed, that they had taken the sword against, they saw them as inferior. They saw them as not as good as they were being Egyptians. And they went out and they killed them. They took their stuff but now they're being cast down into the same pit of hell that those people that they killed are in. Can you imagine that reunion? They're going down to a place they felt themselves as superior, coming down to a place where they are no longer superior, and they're all on equal footing. But they're going to go down into the pit, and that's where they're going to, to um, of course, be for eternity until the great white throne judgment when they're all brought up. And judged, and then the lake of fire will be open. But until then, they're down in the midst of the earth in a place called hell. Verse 22 Assyria is there, 
and all her company with their graves all around her. Now, Assyria is already there. She's already been judged. You remember, of course, the story with Jonah. He was sent to them. They repented. And some of those who died who were repented probably would not be there. But, of course, they, that repentance didn't last. And they fell back into their sin. Judgment came upon Assyria. And most, if not, uh, well, at least many of the Assyrians that, uh, that had died there are down into the pit. They're down into hell. And Egypt, and they go down, they're going to go down there as well. God called in the last chapter, God called Assyria as a greater and more glorious nation than Egypt was. And now Egypt is going down to the same hell that they are. <clears throat> Assyria is there and all her company with their graves all around her. All of them slain, fallen by the sword. War had come, people had died, and now they're down into the in the pit. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit and her company is all around her grave. All of them slain, fallen by the sword who caused terror in the land of the living. So this is in the land of the living. There's terror that comes here and this is the second mention of it. The people that are alive become afraid because of those who were slain and had gone on. So Assyria is there in the, in the pit Let's go into verse 24. There is Elam and all her multitude all around her, all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have set her bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. We mentioned before that Egypt, the Egyptians practiced circumcision. So the fact that they would be put down with uncircumcised, that would have been something appalling to the Egyptians. <clears throat> so he's announcing this to them, that this is where they're going to go. They have set their bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with all her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though their terror was caused in the land of the living. Yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. <clears throat> it was put into the midst of the slain. Now Elam here is east of Babylon. That's its location. It has its capital of Susa, which you may remember from the book of Daniel. Daniel was one time uh, taken there in a vision. Its capital in, in, in Susa was destroyed by Asher Banipal in around 650 B.C. In Isaiah 22 and verse 6, its warriors form part of the host of Sennacherib. That's Isaiah 22 and verse 6. In Ezra 4 and verse 9, they are named as having been among the settlers in Samaria. In Isaiah 21 and verse 2, as joining with the Medes in the attack on Babylon. In Jeremiah 25, 25, they're again coupled with the Medes among the enemies of Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel 8.2, as we mentioned, as the providence in which Sushan was situated, so that was therefore subject to Babylon as well. Now Jeremiah, in chapter 49, 34-39, through 39, he has a, a special prophecy uttered against it. So those are other places where the country of Alam is mentioned. Verse 26, There are Meshach and Tubal and all their multitudes with all their graves around it all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though they caused their terror in the land of the living, 
They do not lie with the mighty, who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They have laid their swords under their heads, but their iniquities will be on their bones because of the terror of the might in the land of the living. Again, we're referring to the terror in the land of the living. Now, Meshach and Tubal, this is one of those ones that if you were all here and, and Daryl was down there by the computer, we'd have a nice little map for you up on the, on the screen. And you can see where this is. But if you just go into uh, a search engine and type in Meshach and Tubal, you'll find a number of different maps and they'll show you the locations of where Meshach and Tubal are. And you can see on, on the map there. But these, these two groups are older nations in Asia Minor. <clears throat> they were known for their terror and for their ruthlessness. Now, Meshach is named with Tubal and Rosh in certain translations as principalities of Gog, the prince of Magog. He is considered to be a Jephthite tribe. And we're going to see this come up again in Ezekiel 38 and in Ezekiel 39. We're going to see these, these guys come up again. So we'll wait till, till then till we get to, get to that. But most reference books identify Tubal uh, as in an area of Turkey. Tubal in Genesis 10 was his name of the son of Japheth, the son of Jonah. Oh, I'm sorry, the son of Noah. Uh, the, uh, some of the modern uh, Georgians also claim descendant from Tubal, Togomarath, and Meshach, a Georgian historian, uh, another, another person, Avain, <clears throat> and I have a hard time with his name, Javakish Vila, uh, considered Tabal, Tabal, Tubal, Jabal, and Jubal to be ancient Georgian, Georgian tribal destinations. Yeah, in Ezekiel 30, let me just read this one to you. Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So that's something that's coming up. We're not going to do that here tonight. But Ezekiel 38 will be upcoming. And that's a prophecy against them and has a lot of end time implications there. <clears throat> Verse 28 of Ezekiel 32. Yes, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those slain by the sword. There is Edom, her kings and all her princes who despite their might are laid beside those slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. So Edom is brought in. We've seen Edom brought up before and some of the prophecies that were made against her. And this is, is tied in that Edom is, of course, down in the pit and they're going to be joining them down there. Uh, verse 30. There are the... There are the princes of the north, all of them and all the Sidonians who have gone down with the slain in shame at the terror which they caused by their might. They lie uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Now these uh, princes of the north, the Sidonians, this would refer to the Phoenician coastal towns. That would be Tyre, Sidon with the chief cities. So as those folks were judged and as they died, they would have gone down to the pit in Pharaoh and the Egyptians who die are going to be going down and joining them. 
Verse 31, Pharaoh would see them and be comforted all over, uh, over all his multitude. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord. Now we see this term slain by the sword used quite a bit. And it would seem that with all those references, that if you're killing people in war without being the sword of the Lord, judgment would come upon you. The only one we know during these prophecies about Egypt, the only one we know that is the sword of the Lord is Babylon. He was the sword of the Lord against Judah. He was the sword of the Lord against Tyre. He was the sword of the Lord against Egypt. And some, some other nations he brought into judgment as well. But other nations like Egypt, other nations like Tyre, they had taken their swords and they had gone to war to conquer. But they were not the sword of the Lord. And that brought judgment on them. Now they may have thought they were the sword of the Lord, but God did not commission them. And God did not send them. If we're going to be the sword of the Lord, we have to make sure that God sent us to do whatever it is that He did. To claim that God sent us on a mission that He did not send will bring judgment upon us. And of course, these guys are not just doing a mission that God didn't send them on. They're actually killing people. And if you're going to go to the place of killing people, you will be judged if God did not send you on it. So Babylon was the sword of the Lord. He was not judged Babylon itself was not judged because of the people that they killed being the sword of the Lord. But Egypt will be because they were not ever given that designation to be the sword of the Lord. Verse 32, For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword, Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. So we've seen several references here to this terror Again, verse 32, For I have caused my terror in the land of the living. This is not the, the people down in the pit. The people down in the pit are the land of the dead. They died. The land of the living, this is the people here on earth. And when they see the death of the Egyptians, when they see the death of the, all these other nations, and God has brought judgment upon them, that there's a terror that comes to them. But here in particular, we're looking at the terror that falls on them because of what fell on Egypt. Some of these are nations who depended on Egypt for protection, like Judah had done. Some of these are nations who depended on Egypt for trade, maybe even. Uh, whatever it was, they had some dependency upon Egypt. And when Egypt went away, there was a terror that came upon them. Now, I put down in your outline, if you, if you saw that, if you had that, when the world makes judgments as to what will happen, what they expect to happen, who is good, who is strong, and that are found to be wrong, it causes distress. As what they thought was true and factual wasn't. So the world will go around, they will make judgments. They will say this group is bad, they will say this group is good. And they will have their things that they say are their reasons. Many times when the world gives us their reasons, they leave out ones that they can't explain. Well, we can't exactly say this because that will point to them as being good. And so they'll leave certain facts out and they let it to be as they, as they want it to be so that we think the way that they want us to think. But the world will make judgments as to what will happen and what they expect to happen. They'll make judgments as to who is good. They'll make judgments as to who is strong and who is not. But when they are found to be wrong, they, they come into a place of distress. Now, you want to make sure 
that as children of light, you are not caught up in the facts and truths, caught up in their facts and truths. For then you will be captured by some of the same troubling thoughts that they are. These people who saw Egypt go down had terror come upon them, and God even called it my terror, God's terror, that came upon them. Because they had depended on wrong things. They had accepted wrong facts. They had seen or made wrong judgments based on things they saw or things they were told. And when those judgments didn't hold water, didn't stand true, there was a terror that came upon them. Stay in the light. No matter how unpopular it is to stay in the light, stay in the light. No matter how much persecution you endure, stay in the light. It is never easy to stay in the light. It is far easier to go over to where the world says, this is where it's comfortable. This is where it's good. These are the facts that we accept as being true. If you will accept these facts as being true, it will go easier on you. But if you try and go against the facts that the world has said are true, there will be opposition. There will be persecution. This is what they were facing here. We had a bunch of people who were given the facts that Egypt's gods were strong, that Egypt's gods were true gods, that they were great gods, that it was a great nation, that Pharaoh was a god himself. They believed many of these things. And God says, I'm bringing you down into judgment. And when God brought them down into judgment, all of that came crashing down. How can Pharaoh be a god and come to the destruction that he came to? How can Egypt be so such a great nation and come to the destruction that they came to? And it won't make sense. And because it doesn't make sense, confusion sets in. And when that confusion sets in, that leaves room for terror. <clears throat> and they can become afraid because what they thought was right isn't. So I made a list here. This is by no means an a, a all-inclusive list. You can probably add some things to this list down the road as uh, you're, you're giving some insight to this. But uh, reasons for terror. Reasons for why terror will come up on the inside of us. I'm sure many of us can think of times in our life when all of a sudden a great terror fell upon us. We want to make sure that those things don't happen. That we don't fall into the wrong kind of terror and have fear come up on the inside of us. Here's the first thing. Reasons for terror. False hope. We'll have a false hope. Now, not all false hope is uh, anti-God. If you think back in the New Testament, when the people of Israel were uh, in the land around Jerusalem and Je Jesus came in on the scene, they had a false hope about Jesus. They saw Him as the coming King. They saw Him coming in, in a military ruler and to set them free from the rule of Rome. That's what their focus was. That was a false hope. And he would even go around and he would preach that message. Every time he went into a synagogue, he would read Isaiah's prophecy, but only read the first half. He read the first half about the lamb. He didn't read the second half about the king. He read the part about being the lamb. But they didn't want, they didn't want to see a Messiah that was a lamb. They wanted to see a Messiah who was a king. And so this hope was fanned to a flame inside of them. And for some of them, when Jesus didn't live up to become that, that king, they became very fearful. There was terror that fell upon them. They weren't looking for a Messiah who was a lamb. They were looking for a Messiah who was a king. And even though this was a biblical hope, we have that hope that Jesus Christ is coming back as king. We know that he's coming back as king, but he didn't come back as king then. 
But you see, the enemy wants to come in. He will fan to a flame a wrong hope because he knows it's not true. He knows it won't come about. And so he'll fan that to a flame. He'll get us excited about it. He'll get us believing it. And then the rug is pulled out from under us. And just like for them, Jesus was up on a cross and he died. How can he be Messiah the King if he's dead? See, it's a false hope. The enemy loves to give us false hope. It gives the world false hope. How many things the world believes that are false hope, I couldn't even uh, begin to list them all. But of course, you know, they're, they're there talking about how we can save the earth and all the different things that we can do. Uh, the earth is really not in need of saving and we're not capable of doing it anyway. But they give us that false hope. You can do it. If you do this, if you change your habit here, you'll save the earth. And people buy into it. And they have that false hope. And then as soon as anything goes on that's not right, they, they uh, can sometimes lose that, that hope. How are those people going to do in the, when the day of the Lord comes and the book of Revelation unfolds and we see plague after plague coming upon the earth? I don't know what they would begin to think about what they can do to save the earth then. So that's the first one I put in there was false hope. Here's the second one, false security. They have a false security. Now, some of the secular people, they'll have a false security in that they believe this, there is no God. You probably know people who believe there is no God. What happens when something goes on in life and suddenly they come into a, to grips with the truth? There is a God. Can you imagine the terror that would cause on people? Believing that there was no God and all of a sudden there is a God? And I'm going to face this God? That would be, that would bring a lot of terror upon them. But there's a false security that people have. They have a false security and, and that the, the government will take care of them. What happens when the government fails? And just about every government that has come up in this, the history of this earth has failed. The great government that Rome set up failed. The government that Greeks set up failed. The government that Babylon set up failed. The government that Assyria set up failed. Here in this chapter, the government that Egypt set up failed. Governments may have lasted, uh, some of them lasted centuries, but they failed. If we have our security in anything that comes from even government, that's a false security. Our security must be in God. And so there's things that are set up that are tempting us. Come on over here. Believe, in the, the, believe that this is your security. Believe that this is what's going to protect you. But don't, don't fall for it. Even now, you know, we're looking at people that are going around. They have the security because they got the mask on their face and the gloves on their hands and uh, the different things that they're, that they're doing. And that gives them a sense of security that, uh, well, I guess this will keep me from, from dying and uh, all the things that people have told them. But it's, it's a false sense of security. Make sure your security is in God. Don't let your security be in anything else. If you do, terror will come upon. Will come upon us. Here's the third one. False light or truth. The enemy is always trying to sell us on, on light that is false. There's no truth to it. And he wants us to buy into it. And we buy into that light as being light. And all of a sudden that light is exposed as being not what it was supposed to be. Oh, wait a minute. That light wasn't light at all. That truth wasn't truth at all. It was false. 
You would, and, and people, when they hear a terror comes upon them because of the things that they, they did based on that truth, based on, on what they heard, based on what they saw from this, don't buy into the truth. Make sure you never buy into anything that the media sells you because we know they constantly lie. Don't throw things up on the TV that are nothing about what they're saying that they are because they feel that it'll, it will promote whatever it is they want you to believe. Even in recent months, we've seen many times where they've been caught doing these kind of things. Just make sure you know whatever it is that the media is selling is probably something false. It's probably something that's not true. Don't buy into it. Once what is false is exposed and they find out this isn't truth, there is no, no light with this, terror comes. If as long as you listen to your spirit and your spirit says, don't buy into that, don't listen to that, you won't come into that terror. You won't have that, have that problem that will come in. I know we have this, uh, supposedly this great crisis that comes in. I don't want to tell you that there is no disease and there is no virus or that there is no, no people that will die. I've just told you from the beginning, I don't think it's as big as what they say. And I think in the end, we'll see that the numbers will prove that out. But people have bought into this thing being a huge, huge deal and have, have uh, rearranged their lives in such a way. We've already rearranged our economy in, in other ways. But don't react to anything that God doesn't reveal to you in your spirit. That's where the urgency has to come from. If God says, hey, do this, there are dangers out there. And the Spirit of God will warn us about those dangers. When He warns us about those dangers, we need to take the actions that He says. But don't take the actions that are brought from falsehood. Don't get that to, to change you. So false hope, false security, false light or truth. Here's the fourth one. Unsteady foundation. An unsteady foundation. This is your foundation of sand instead of the rock. And then when the storm comes, see when the storm comes and you're built in the rock, we don't become afraid. But when the storm comes and we're built in the sand, we don't have that firm foundation. Fear can come in. Make sure that we don't have the wrong foundation in. Make sure that whatever you put in there for your foundation, it comes from the Word. You've checked it out. You've studied the Word. You found out that what it is is truth. You've searched it out in the whole Word. Just like uh, some of the people that Paul went to. And they checked out everything that Paul said with the rest of the Word. Found out it was true. And they put it in their foundation. When you do that, you have rocks that you're building on instead of sand. And when the storms come, and the storms will come, we won't be moved. So make sure you're not on an unsteady foundation. If we're on an unsteady foundation, terror can certainly come on in. We want to make sure that we're in a firm firm foundation. I remember watching one of those uh, weather, weather stories one time. And one of the ones that sticks with me probably the most was a, a family who had a house on the beach. They had a, a bait shop on the first floor. And then they lived on the second floor. And this terrible hurricane came in. And most people had evacuated, but they didn't want to evacuate. They wanted to stay. And the hurricane came and the waters came up and it pretty much took out the, the tackle shop and they were retreating up into the, to the second level and the waters were coming up onto them and they had videos and they were showing the pictures of all this sort of thing. And I bet you they were, 
they were wondering, they, they, they were wishing that they were on a much more firm foundation as that uh, went on. Well, the people did make it. Uh, I guess otherwise we wouldn't have had the video. But when the storm comes, you want to make sure that your foundation is sure. Here's the fifth one. Deceived into thinking that what is true was false. Deceived into thinking that what is true was false. Or you can flip that around. What was false was true. I think of the Thessalonian saints. They had believed, as Paul taught them, that the tribulation would come after Christ came. And then some other people came in and said, no, the tribulation you're going through, which was great. It was a great tribulation that the Thessalonian saints were going through. But they told him, he says, Paul was wrong. You're in the tribulation now. And it caused a great terror to come upon them because they thought what was true was actually false. And what was false was actually true. And it caused caused this to happen. So Paul wrote Second Thessalonians to them and told them about these things and said, hey, it can't happen. You cannot be in the tribulation until the great catching away or the basically we call it the rapture comes. And he was, he was very clear on that. This, uh, this won't happen. You're not in the tribulation. You are in great tribulation, but you're not in the tribulation. So just rest assured you didn't miss it. His Christ is coming back. He will come back for us. But see, they were deceived into thinking that what was true was false and what was false was true. Make sure as you go through life, those things that you have found in the Word of God to be true, don't let people shake you from them. Don't let people move them from you. If God is your protector, no matter what it is that comes against this country, God is still your protector. If God has delivered you from sickness and disease, no matter what it is that comes against you, God still has delivered you from sickness and disease. Don't let go of those things that you know. As we put that quote in the bulletin a week or two ago, don't let go of what you know for what you don't know. Make sure you hang on to what you know to be true. You make sure when you put something in your foundation that you check it out. Thoroughly check it out. It's got to be something in the Word of God. And it's got to hold up with all the rest that's in the Word. But don't be deceived into thinking that what is true is actually false. I've seen many a Christian let go of what they thought was true, what they knew to be true, but somebody came along and gave them something and they pursued it and they went after it and they got off of what was true and they got on to what was false. See, when we do that, we can become deceived. We don't want to have that deception come upon us. We want to stay with the things that God has for us. Don't be deceived into thinking that what is true was false. You see, if these are just five things here. You can probably add some more things to it. But make sure your hope is sure. Make sure your security is in our God and in His promises. Make sure you have His light and His truth. Make sure that your foundation is the foundation of the rock and not the sand. And don't be deceived into thinking that those things you know are true are false. Don't ever be be deceived in that. Know these things. God loves you. That's the truth. Don't let anybody tell you different. God forgives you. That's the truth. Don't let anybody come along and tell you different. 
Don't tell you, well, God will forgive you, but God can't forgive you for that. God cares for you. That's the truth. Don't let it go. Don't let people come along and say, God doesn't care for you. If God cared for you, he wouldn't let this happen. That's what happened to the disciples when they faced their storm out on the Sea of Galilee. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? They thought he didn't care. God protects you. Don't forget it is God that protects you. Don't look for anything else. It is him. God loves you. God forgives you. God cares for you. God protects you. You can keep on adding to that list. These are truths. These are promises we have from God. Satan loves to get us to bring in one or more of these things so that when the time is right, he can throw that terror on us. Don't let him throw that terror on you. You have been given the armor of God to keep terror away from you. If God does not warn you, you have no reason to fear. If God warned you and say, don't go this way, you shouldn't go that way. You still don't need to get into fear over it. You just say, well, God's told me I won't go that way. And you go another way. But you still don't have to be in terror about it. But the enemy, he wants you in terror. Because when we are afraid, we do stupid things. How many movies are made out of people in terror doing stupid things? I forget who it was. It's probably Geico. They make some of the best commercials, some of the most entertaining ones. But there was that one, they kind of reenact a horror movie theme and um, group of people. They're also, let's go into the garage where all the blades and saws are. <laughs> and the one girl, she's crying, she's afraid and, and so forth. And she goes, why don't we just get into the running car? <laughs> I still remember that commercial. I thought it was, it was quite well done. And the whole idea, I think, was... Uh, that uh, we sometimes don't make good decisions. When we are afraid, when we are in terror, we don't make good decisions. The enemy knows that. He wants to get you in a place of terror. He wants to get you in a place of confusion. He wants to get you in a place where you will compromise on what it is that God has told you to do. But you don't have to. That's not the way that you have to follow. There's a terror that is out there. The enemy just loves to put it on people. Because once they fall into that terror, they will do things that will lead them down into the pit. And they will do things that will lead them into death. They will do things that will cause them to leave the things of God. Don't fall into the terror. Even the, the Word of God tells us about the terror that comes by night. We don't have to fall into it. You have been redeemed from these things. Walk in the light as He is in the light. There's no need to be afraid. No matter what it is that goes on in this world right now, everything is about this virus that is going around. And um, Fortunately, they can't keep the actual numbers down and more and more of the actual numbers are coming out and it should uh, give some people some hope. But if you were one of those, you know, listening to your spirit and just knowing, well, there's, I, I don't feel it's that urgent. You're, you're falling uh, right in line with where God wants you to be. Don't worry about it. Do what God tells you to do. But don't be in terror. Don't be in fear about it. And this one, a lot is being made about the terror because people thought Egypt was invincible. Egypt had been around for thousands of years. They had been a world-dominating power for thousands of years. I think the number we threw out to you last time was about 2,500 years. 
That is a long time. And to see that nation go down and become nothing was a shock to them. They said, if Egypt could fall, who can stand? And they became afraid. Well, we can stand very easily just by doing the things that God says because He makes the stand with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that though people to our right, people to our left, people that we know may fall into the terror of the things of this world, terror because what they depended on is no longer there, terror because a truth that they thought was true was shown to be false, terror because they were deceived into thinking that what was true was actually false. Terror because their security was not in the God above. Whatever it might be, that terror does not have to come upon us. We can be free from that. And I thank you, Father, that if we do the things in our life that you tell us to do, think on the things you tell us to think on, walk in the way that you tell us to walk, Trust in the things you tell us to trust in. Lean not on our own understanding. Lean not on the things that we see. But depend on what we hear in our spirit. And respond to those things. That terror that falls upon so many people will not fall upon us. It can't gain traction. It may try and come at us. But he can't hold on to anything and it just falls off because we've given it no place. I thank you, Father. Thank you that you help us. I thank you that you strengthen us. And I thank you that you are the God that we serve. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.